From the American Tobacco Historic District in downtown Durham, this is Due South on WUNC. I'm Jeff Tabiri. It has been 125 years since white supremacists overthrew a democratically elected government in a majority African-American city, Wilmington, North Carolina. It is widely considered the only successful coup in American history. The undeniable impacts of the 1898 coup cannot be overstated. It was an outright failure of democracy, law, and order. It left the community in shambles and actively prevented them from rebuilding and reorganizing. But I truly mourn for the death of harmony and inclusion in this place, for the loss of nuance. We had a nearly utopian intermingling of classes, ethnic groups, and political persuasions, and lost it to a staged political violence. For decades, the incident was called a race riot, and in some ways it in fact was, a white supremacist riot against black people on the basis of their race. It was also a massacre, and as many as 300 black people were killed. Many more were forced out of town, including the publisher of Wilmington's African-American newspaper, The Daily Record. Alex Manley was the publisher and co-owner of that paper. Kieran Hale, Alex Manley's great-grandson. He spoke about the impact that the insurrection had on his family during a panel discussion at UNC Wilmington, marking the 125th anniversary last month. My own ambiguous appearance has led to harassment about my features, anti-Semitic and anti-Islamophobic interactions with strangers, and downright disgust at my presence, largely by white people. But just as Alex did, I choose to live my life in my blackness and to fight against racism and oppression in all the ways that I can, specifically through art and the pen. Uh, I didn't know what to expect the first time I came to the South. I tried not to draw any premature inferences, but the thing that surprised me the most was how much public space is still held to honor the idea of intimidating black folks. Slavery and all of its surrounding trades and skills shaped the South. Those spaces keep alive the spirit of hate and violence against non-white people. It, it reverberates in these spaces, especially in empty lots that were homes, that were businesses, community spaces. <clears throat> spaces that stood proudly until their last day on November 9th, 1898. That's Kieran Hale, Alex Manley's great-grandson. Hale was among the descendants of people involved in the 1898 Wilmington insurrection who spoke last month, descendants of victims, and there was a descendant of a perpetrator. They gathered to share their experiences and to acknowledge the 125th anniversary of the Wilmington coup and massacre. That recording was shared with us by WHQR fellow public radio station. Now, Wilmington was the locus of that hatred and violence and is perhaps the best known chapter, but it didn't happen in a vacuum. It wasn't the only city in North Carolina to experience the 1898 white supremacist campaign. We're joined today on Due South by North Carolina historian David Ciselski to discuss a neighboring city which had an important role in the 1898 white supremacy story, New Bern. David, welcome to Due South. It's nice to be here. Talk to me about New Bern. I want to start with kind of a synthesizing statement. Let's pretend there's someone sitting in here that we're you, a historian, or, or, or kind of framing this up for. Uh, what was Newburn's role, kind of simply? Jeff, I think the most important thing to remember is that the massacre in Wilmington was one small part of 
a white supremacy movement that reached into every corner of North Carolina from 1898 to 1900. More people died in Wilmington than anywhere else. But now that we have brought some attention, now that there's been finally a growing appreciation for what happened in Wilmington, I think we're increasingly beginning to look at what happened throughout North Carolina during this white supremacy movement. In New Bern, the town's leading merchants and businessmen, the leaders of the railroad, the leaders of the banks, were all very aware of what was happening in Wilmington and very much wanted to, to emulate it. They also, they lived in a town that was 65% African-American at that time, and that a coalition of blacks and whites had come together and had governed in a, the town of New Bern and the county of Craven since 1894. That coalition of blacks and whites had governed the whole state of North Carolina during those four years. And the idea of the white supremacy campaign fundamentally was to drive a wedge between blacks and whites and to make sure that that kind of coalition could never happen again. People often, young people, anyone that I talk to, often find it a little hard to get used to even sort of saying, like the words white supremacy movement. I did. I've had audiences say, um, I don't know, sort of feel that it was like a, a woke thing, you know, like a historian today applying language that's not appropriate to the times. In 1900, there were all nearly a thousand white supremacy clubs in the state of North Carolina. Hmm. They called themselves white supremacy clubs. What, it's what it was. It was out in the open. There was a white supremacy day. There was white supremacy banners across the courthouse lawn in New Bern. There were... Um, white supremacy groups of all kinds. The campaign ticket that year was called the White Supremacy Ticket. David Soselski is here on Due South, and we're chatting about New Bern, North Carolina, and its role in the white supremacy movement at the turn of the 20th century. David, there was a successful coup in Wilmington. Was there a successful political coup from your historical perspective in New Bern? Why or why not? Oh, absolutely. Election Day in November 1898 passed without the kind of violence that happened in Wilmington. We know that there was a great deal of fear. We know that many, uh, both African Americans and their white supporters, stayed away from the polls. We knew threats were made, but we don't know of any direct violence. Two-thirds of the electorate was, was African American. And even though there were fewer African-Americans voting that year, African-Americans still prevailed in New Bern when they did not in most of the rest of the state. Immediately, white leaders in New Bern go to the, to the new North Carolina General Assembly, which convenes in January 1899. And they convince North Carolina state legislators to come to the aid of the white supremacists in New Bern. And at this point, White supremacists, people who call themselves white supremacists, made up the large majority of the North Carolina General Assembly. The North Carolina General Assembly, on February 3rd, 1899, repeals the charter for the city of New Bern. New Bern's leaders of the white supremacy movement wanted to make sure that there would be no African Americans or whites who were sympathetic to African American voting rights still in office. So they actually repeal the charter 
of the city of New Bern. So they repeal the charter of New Bern. Now, New Bern as a place, like it still exists. There are still buildings there. But what you're saying is New Bern functionally as a, as a, as a, as a city municipality that is acknowledged by the state on February 3rd, 1899, no longer exists. They've dissolved the city. The North Carolina General Assembly passes the act abolishing New Bern's charter on February 3rd, 1899. It goes into effect February 10th, 1899. And at that point, New Bern as a legal entity does not exist. It is not a town. It's not a city. The legislature puts the control of the former city of New Bern's assets in the hands of a small group of local trustees. Ten days later, on February 20th, 1899, the North Carolina General Assembly then passes a new act which grants a new charter to the city of New Bern. New Bern is remade. The boundaries, the governing structure, everything that makes a city a city is remade. But along with that, they have removed everyone out of office, so they, the legislature in Raleigh appoints a new board of aldermen for the town. It purges the, the voting rolls and sets the date for a new election. And when the new city of New Bern reappears on February 20th, 1899, white supremacy leaders hold every position in the town government. So, David, they reestablish the rules of the game. They reframe the picture. They reset the table, whatever your analogy may be. It's, it's all, it, do, it doesn't even do justice what we're talking about here. Then what happens? The next step in the white supremacy movement in New Bern is really the next step in the white supremacy movement throughout North Carolina. The same state legislature in the, in the same session passes a state constitutional amendment that will bar African Americans from voting in the state of North Carolina. That amendment, ending black voting rights, then has to be endorsed by the people of North Carolina. It has to be ratified. And they set an election for the first week of August 1900. A couple things happened in New Bern. As part of the 1898 election, white leaders, to get the support of the white working class in the town had promised to eliminate African-Americans, to, to fire African-Americans, and never to allow a African-American person to work in a position over a white person in the town. And in 1899 and the early part of 1900, the white employers of New Bern set about fulfilling that pledge. David Siselski is a historian of the American South, uh, and of North Carolina. He has taught at Duke University, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and East Carolina University, and he is a native of Carteret and Craven Counties. David Soselski has been your guest here on Due South. David, thank you. My pleasure. Nice to be here.